going to, my OCD will just do the, it'll get the better of me. G'day. It's all good. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> morning, everybody. It's an honour to be here. Like here. It's an honour to be here, but it's an honour to be here. Thank you. Um, so, to, um, it's, a, it's really awesome. Um, the part of our families in Africa at the moment. Having been Africa a couple of times, I know the life, what it, how life-changing it is, you know. And um, <coughs> Pastor Andrew will, um, he's going to experience stuff that he's, I know he's been to India, but it's a bit of a different place. The, um, and the difference between Zambia and South Africa is immense. They're just polar opposites. They're like, an, it's an hour and a half flight, but it's polar opposites. Um, and it's uh, pretty confronting. I actually reckon now is probably the more confronting time for them in in the trip because of the there's absolute such wealth and poverty and sickness and then um, racism as well. Just a just a boot. Um, so um, <coughs> so as you pray for Andrew and we pray for his leg, we pray for their health. We pray for um, yeah. We just. I, we pray for the. I guess the. the um, I'm trying to think of the right word. I didn't plan this at all. But something along the lines of we've got to be able to. Um, <clears throat> we've got to find rest in the fact that there's crap going on somehow. We've got to find rest in that. But yet we've got to find a real unrest in that as well. There's got to be a real unrest in the and a real injustice with with what happens in the world. That's why we go. That's why we go, you know. Um, and that's sort of what I want to talk about today. I want to build on... Um, people have said to me as, um, as a worship leader, is there one worship song you wish you wrote? And, for, and it's been a few songs, but one recently for me, probably the last year and a half has been um, Build My Life because it's just that bridge is just off the flipping charts. Um, you know that I'll build my life on your love. It's just um, as, a, as the firm foundation. And, um, yeah, I pro- sorry, I probably better do this before I get going. Um, anybody got the middle name Patricia? All right. Cool. That's all right. Just checking. Just wanted to kick you out now. That's all. <laughs> no. <coughs> I just sort of heard the, um, the word Patricia. Um, or is anybody's birthday on the 27th of September, a couple of days ago? All right. Anybody know Patricia, born on the 27th of September? That's right. If we don't try, we'll never know. Cool. Um, yeah, I reckon there's something, something about being a Christian that's totally supernatural and stuff we don't get. Yet I believe there's stuff in being a Christian that there's some stuff that's just totally natural. And that there is a balance between trusting and relying and resting in the supernatural, yet having that unrest in the natural. Um, When I was about 
15, 16, I gave my life to Christ. And um, at the time, I had hair down to about there. And um, I used to wear flannel shirts, probably similar design to this, but they were ripped everywhere. I wore army pants and like khaki pants before they were cool. And we had this look, me and my friends, we, we, we were grunge. We were grunge. Adam would have been there, yeah? Yeah, you were there. Um, and um, so me and my mates, we'd walk around and, you know, our main colour choice was brown, I'll be honest. The, the main colour was brown. <clears throat> and, um, and all that was good. Um, and uh, one day, we're, I remember being at church and it wasn't for a service. There was hardly anybody there, but all us guys were in the floor of the church and the pastor at the time was a big bloke, New South Welshman who played rugby and really fine cut fella um, in the early 90s who, um, and he come in and he goes, don't you guys change the way you look, don't you, aren't you glad I did, but don't you guys change the way you look, you know that there's nothing wrong with the way you look and the church needs people to look the way that you look because Jesus was a homeboy. That's what he told me. And let me tell you what happened in my mind right then, because I didn't say it out loud because I was 15, 16, and he was the big burly New South Welshman who played rugby. Um, was it I go, I'm not a homeboy. <laughs> and I don't reckon Jesus was a homeboy. Because the homeboys, so this is back when I was a teenager, and I'm, I'm sure this happened throughout every generation. Every generation had sort of type styles, yeah? The homeboys were the guys at that point who were into rap music, who wore hats on the side, and they were, they, they were not me. So don't go telling me that Jesus is a homeboy because he ain't me. I had a few issues, right? And it had nothing to do with the way I looked. But I was actually kind of uncomfortable. I understood what he was saying, right? I understood what he was saying, that Jesus was out there, that he was, um, that, that, that he was um, doing things different to, to just what the norm was. But I, and I, I didn't take offence to it, but at the same point in time, I'm like, he's a homeboy? Don't call me a homeboy. And it, but what it sort of hit in me is the notion that I can actually get really quite defensive about particular people groups, about particular things. And there's people who I have, have been over my life really uncomfortable associating with. Over the last probably year and a half, I've been... Um, really challenged by the Lord to just um, get to know Jesus. Not to know him for, from an academic perspective, but to get to know Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because Jesus was a man, for those of, it, uh, those of us who are not clear, jo Jesus was a man who walked on this earth and did physical stuff on this earth. He was here. Um, <clears throat> probably vomited, probably pooed, Bible doesn't say, but some theologians assume that he vomited and pooed at times. That's, I haven't, don't have that written down. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Let me move on. But when Andrew asked me to share, the first thing to pop in my mind is I've actually got to talk about Jesus and about a little bit about who Jesus is revealing himself to me to be. And I think in society today, and um, maybe not so much in, a, in Australia, and I want to be careful as I say this because um, I'm, <clears throat> I get pretty passionate and wound up about some stuff, um, but sometimes I, get, I, get, I personally get really worried about the 
relationship between politics and faith. Um, and probably not so much here in Australia, but America, it's quite crazy. And even though we've had nothing but grand final on TV for the last week here in America, it's been quite different um, for those who've been following. There's, there's, there's actually really quite an uneasy relationship between the church and politics in America. And we... This, this, I'll move on from this in a minute. But, but we have the potential to just... Um, yeah, our, our society could go the same way. But what I see is that everything is getting polarised. That there's either this way or this way. There is no actual middle ground, you know? And that there are some things we kind of go, I cannot believe that, but I cannot believe that. Um, and I realised that when Jesus walked on the earth, he was heavily involved in a political society as well. A heavily political society that, that also had, held a whole, whole lot of religious political aspects as well. But I, I, I reckon that, um, hear my heart when I say this, I actually don't think the world needs the church, but I think the world needs Jesus. It doesn't need another organisation. It needs a relationship with Jesus. Um, and we've got to be careful to ensure that the church culture, the culture of the church, is actually mirror, mirroring the culture of who Jesus is. That's what we've got to do. So, I think God blesses the church, but I think he will easily go beyond this church, any church, to actually reach the people he needs to. In fact, I've seen it. He will go and he will reach people beyond what you and I think and what our boundaries are of what we think he can and can't do. And that's really uncomfortable, isn't it? How dare he do stuff that we don't want him to do? But I find that we really need to keep going back to Jesus as our solid foundation, yeah? Because we can get caught up in stuff. We can get into a bit of group think, building off each other. and then. But I think it's important that we go back to the foundation of who Jesus is, yeah? Um, I've heard it said that Jesus is the standard. Like, if there's, if there's a standard of the way the Christian life should be, we should look to Jesus. He is the standard. Um, and so everything Jesus did actually helps build our understanding of what the standard is, okay? Anybody ran in those early 90s days that had a wristband with four letters on it? Remember those? WWJD, which stand for what would Jesus do? Yeah? That was actually the standard for, um, um, that, that, that we were learning to live with. What would Jesus do? I actually think that's half the truth now because I actually think that what would Jesus do is really important, which is what we'll talk about. But also, well, what will you do is really important as well. So Jesus did many things and some of them were really quite easy and easier to do. Some of them were exceptionally hard. And, um, you know, the hardest one is obviously dying on the cross. And that demonstrated the ultimate love for us, the ultimate sacrifice of God giving his son for our salvation. That's the, that's the hardest thing I reckon he did on earth. But I reckon there's some other hard stuff he did. He did, And I reckon that even though he healed, he challenged the religious mindset. He sat with the outcast. Most of all, he just loved on others. And I reckon that's one of the hardest things he did. And I reckon these are the things that we should take away today. So let me pray because this is a Christian event and um, people get offended if I don't. Not you guys, but 
Faith Battistella gets really offended if I don't pray. <laughs> Man, I can't believe having a Christian meeting. You haven't prayed. Like, it's okay. It's all good, I think. So let's pray for faith's sake. Um, Lord God, we welcome you here. And Lord, um, we just want to know more about Jesus. We just want to look in the face of Jesus and find out more about who he is. So just reveal some truth to us today in what I have to say. Thanks, Lord. Amen. So John uh, 14, 12 says, and this is Jesus' words, that truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, but they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So if one of the things that Jesus was doing was sharing love to people, that's something that's possible for us. Maybe even expected. Maybe. Let's sit with that maybe and let's see. You know, the Gospels, are, and look, I want to appreciate that some people have been on an on a, on a awesome long journey in their faith and others are shorter than others. But I reckon there's one thing we can anchor ourselves back on and every denomination can anchor itself back on, which is Jesus, yeah? This is, this is, this is the foundation. So let's get ready to be anchored in the foundation. So actually I want to talk about um, a group of people that Jesus interacted with that we will have read about in the Bible a few times in the, in the Gospels, and they are the Samaritans. They're an interesting group of people. But there's, look, there's an obvious problem with the Samaritans. We've got a problem with them. We've got a problem with them. And sometimes we actually need to actually sit back and go, well, why? Who the heck are these Samaritans? And so here's a real quick history of the Samaritans. The Samaritan, so after, after God um, bought... The, the Israelite people out of slavery um, in Egypt. He, st- he established a land for them. Um, and after a while, they wanted a kingdom. They wanted a king. So they got themselves a king. And that was King Saul. And then we followed King David. And then his son, King Solomon. And after then, um, this kingdom split because um, the lineage of um, Solomon and Saul um, got into some sort of argument. This is, this is the Ben Reeve um, <laughs> paraphrase version. And so they actually split into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom, which was one of the tribes of Israel, which was Judah, and that was, the da- and that was David's lineage, and they had their sort of headquarters at Jerusalem. And then the northern kingdom, which they took the name Israel, um, and that was the, the 11 other uh, tribes, and they had their um, headquarters in the town of Samaria. Um, they had headquarters. Um, and so what happened was that um, the, there was another group called the Assyrians. They actually attacked Israel at, at one point and actually took the Israelites into captivity and, um, and took them out of their land. And what happened is the Assyrians actually came into this land and settled there in the northern kingdom area. Um, and then after a, a period of time, the Israelites came back and actually intermarried with these Assyrians. So they were no longer the pure Jewish breed. Um, and these people who came in, they took the name of Samaritans. And um, they weren't worshipping God. So, so God actually sent lions in to kill them. Um, and then they started to fear the Lord, and so he, so that was okay. But what happened was they interwove the worship of God in with the continuing of their worship of other gods and other idols. So 
it was a real sort of mixed situation. Um, these people were not considered Jews. They were a half-breed, good-for-nothing, terrible, useless people. And there was a lot of political and religious tensions with the, with the Jews. So, for example, um, the Jews called the Samaritans a herd, not a nation. And they widely used, there was a widely used Jewish proverb that stated, a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. Um, and this went both ways, because the Samaritans used to actually throw human bones um, into the temple on the day of Passover, which actually made the place... Um, it defiled, the, it defiled the, the sanctuary. So they, um, for that important feast of the year for the Jewish people, they couldn't, they couldn't be there. So this went both ways. And even in the Bible, you know, John, 4, no, John 8, 48, not sure if I've got this one yet. You know, the Jews answered him after Jesus is, is talking, talking to them about who he is. He said, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So the, so the word Samaritan was actually like a, a derogatory term. If you're a Samaritan, that's not cool. It's not cool. Um, and then um, we see that, again, the Samaritans weren't, weren't really good to um, Jesus as well. So in Luke 9 from 52, so they had to go through um, uh, a village of the Samaritans. And in 52, it says he sent messages ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus rebuked them to say no. But even the, even the disciples thought it was appropriate to send down fire on the Samaritans. But the hatred went both ways. Yeah? And yet we see that Jesus was actually countercultural. And he used this situation as a real springboard to make his point. Okay? And so we're going to look at two distinct stories that happen and for those of us who've um, um, been through um, <coughs> Sunday school might have heard these stories M maybe quite some time ago maybe not looking at anyone John uh, maybe um, one of the stories is of the good Samaritan and even this in principle right now is a real issue because there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. No such thing as a good Samaritan. And so if we look in the book of Luke, from in chapter 10, verse 30, it says, And Jesus replied, and he said this, he told this story to a group of people. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. A Samaritan feeling compassion? And he came to him, bandaged him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will return when I repay, and I will repay you. So a Samaritan was actually going to give money towards somebody else 
So why did Jesus tell this story of a good Samaritan? A good Samaritan. We've got to understand how confronting this would have been for the people Jesus was talking to. So what? And so if we look earlier in that verse, you won't have this, Samuel. But, um, but somebody said, um, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? Yeah, Jesus, when he asks a question, he already knows the answer, but, he, but he, already, he just put it to him. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then um, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And so then um, this lawyer who said this, this was an expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself and he said, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus told him who his neighbor was. Because he then asked the question at the end in verse 36, so which of these three do you think proved to be the man's neighbor? How confronting when you think you know who the neighbor is, that's the people you associate with, you have the same blood with, you believe everything the same with, not those dirty, filthy Samaritans. See how countercultural he is? So why did he tell this? It wasn't just because there was an awkward silence and people going, what are you going to do, Jesus? So he made up a story. But I, I love it that it's a great story that really challenged the way people think. And it also, what happens then is that Jesus just doesn't talk the talk. He actually walks the walk, yeah? We then hear a story. The second story I want to quickly share is about the woman at the well who was a Samaritan woman who Jesus went through Samaria. Now, he didn't need to go through Samaria. My understanding is that if the Jews need to go north, they went around Samaria because we don't want to go into that dirty place. They went around. But Jesus chose to go through and he sent the disciples ahead of him and he chose to stop at a well in the middle of the day where a woman came to meet him. And the long and short of it is, and you can read about this um, in John 4, but Jesus spent time with this woman and he prophesied over her. He revealed that he knew her background and she became aware that there's something about this guy who's meeting me in the middle of the day where he shouldn't be, but yet he wants to meet with me. But it's the outcome of that meeting and that intentionality of that meeting that I think is really important. If we look at John 4.39, so this is after Jesus has spoken with a woman. And it says, From that city many, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who had testified. He told me all the things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one is indeed the saviour of the world. He didn't, it wasn't just one woman. He went and stayed in one of those filthy villages. He intentionally spent time with the... Samaritan woman. He intentionally spent time with the people of this city. We can forget it if we don't understand the historic significance of who these people were. You know, it was this love of Jesus that enabled this woman 
and then the town to be saved. It was all love, right? Yeah, he brought out some prophetic stuff and she realized he was a teacher, but it was love that held the power, you know? And I've been thinking about what Beck shared last week around an open heaven over the city here. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. It just is. But I'm just well aware that there ain't going to be no open heaven if there ain't no love. That there actually is no greater power coming from God than the power of love. It's almost like heaven doesn't operate without love. Hmm. It's like love is a key, you know. We open this, we open up love. Heaven operates. It's like, you know, we could actually hold worship events here for the sake of like opening heaven as long as we want. But if our hearts are to do it for us and not for the reaching out to the people who need his love, then nothing ain't going to happen other than we're going to have a cool time for ourselves in our own little cool party. And that's not what it's about. So then there's this verse that's sort of become pretty well known over the last couple of years. You may have heard it. It's in the Bible, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's the fact that God so loved the world. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It's because he loved the world. And here's something I believe. And I believe that Jesus died for the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Mesopotamianites, the Babylonians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, the Caesars, Jews, Gentiles, the young, the old, the homosexual, the straight, the right wing, the left wing, the racist, the Nazis, the pacifists, the weak, the strong, those in good health, those in bad health, the rich, the poor, those with every coloured skin, male and female, the drug addict, the murderer, the refugees, the terrorists, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, even even those who are homeboys, skaters, grungers, bogans, and even those who like country music. <laughs> some of it's hard to believe, hey. But some of it is hard to believe. Some of it, we've made it really hard to believe, haven't we? Jesus breaks down these boundaries that the church has put up at times. Man, something on that. So because God loved them all and loves them all, he died for them all. He actually died for us all, yeah? You know that Jesus gave us one commandment? You know Jesus gave us one commandment? Yes, Ben, I'm well aware of that. Or, no, Ben, I'm not aware of that. Um, sorry, I'm just answering for you, if you don't mind. Um, in John 13, 34, he says, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another just as I've loved you. You should love one another. So why did Jesus give us a new commandment? Why do we need a new commandment? There was an old, there's a set of old commandments 
And one of those commandments was, well, somebody actually asked Jesus, it was a, it was a separate point of time, um, which of the laws are the greatest? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love others as you love yourself. And they were the greatest commandments under the old covenant. And then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love others as I've loved you. So what's the problem with the old one of love others as you love yourself? It's because sometimes we don't love ourselves too well. Sometimes we think we're too whatever, not good enough, don't think we're great, compare ourselves with Samaritans a bit. And so what Jesus says is, no, love others as I've loved you. Jesus actually gives us the example of this commandment. How have I loved you? How have I loved the others around me? What have you seen me do? That's the new commandment we've got. And in Matthew 28, before Jesus ascended to heaven, so he died, he'd risen again, he'd been hanging out with the disciples, going fishing and stuff. And um, then in Matthew 28, um, before he ascends to heaven, he says this, Now therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. I've read the Gospels. He only gives one commandment. Love others as I've loved you. Man, we can overcomplicate this thing sometimes. Yeah? So, Jesus shows us in the Good Samaritan that when you're looking for the good in people, it's about looking for the good in people. It's saying that even though somebody can have a different belief system to you, can live a different lifestyle to you, there's actually good stuff in them. Yeah? And they can actually reveal the goodness and the fullness of God regardless. You know, I look at doctors and I think doctors have the gift to heal. Maybe not the same way Jesus would heal people by spitting in mud. You know, imagine if that's what we went to hospital. You go, well, your appendix, let's get some mud. But um, they actually, actually got this gift and this passion and this desire to learn how to heal. Yeah? This is this supernatural and natural stuff coming together. Yeah? Then we look at the, um, the woman at the well and we see Jesus who is willing to sit, willing to stay and willing to build relationships with these people. Man, he's good, isn't he? He's so good. Look for the gold with people. Be willing to relate to people, church. So this is what Jesus did, and I actually believe this is what he expects for all of us, from all of us. Um, But this is where the bit of the supernatural comes in play because I actually feel that he makes this super easy for us. I actually feel it's pretty super easy. So, in Galatians 2.20, Samuel rushed to work. I'm crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. Um, that we're becoming more and more Christ-like. Ray shared a verse um, in his communion um, this morning. Can you put that up again? Because that was awesome, Samuel. The second Corinthians verse, talking about being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And then in Colossians 1. 27 says Christ in you the hope of glory it's actually never you it's the Christ within you 
you know. Pastor Andrew isn't here, and I want to be able to use a Marvel superhero reference, just so you all... I'm not going to mention coffee, really, too much, but just superhero reference, because for his sake. Here's a quote from a guy named Uncle Ben. With much power comes much responsibility. This is in Spider-Man, I believe. Don't know, I haven't seen it. I've heard the saying, though, you know... But such responsibility can actually become really easy with Jesus because what does the Bible say? It says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yeah? Christ within us. Um, a good friend of ours and somebody's uh, ministered in this church before and across Ballarat, you know her name, Roma Waterman, is a good friend of ours. She shared this on Facebook the other day and said, I found a secret in life. Just love people. No matter what they believe or what journey they're on, just love people. You may not always agree with them, but you can always be kind. How good's that? We've got to make sure that we don't have any Samaritan opinions in our lives. Samaritan-like opinions are actually from the pit of hell. They're not from heaven. They're not what God wants for us to be able to have in our lives, to hold on to. But they're for us to be totally away from and to operate out of this spot of love. There's a Christian author who I, I, found, I saw this quote about a month ago and it just hit me so hard. And it says this, her name's Anne Lamott, and it says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. It still sits with me, just so strong. You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Because I actually don't think God hates anybody anybody I don't think he ever has we've got to be careful to not put boundaries on God and his love church so if we decide that all Muslims are terrorists and shouldn't have anything to do with them they become our Samaritans if we decide that all people are bad or wrong or evil they become our Samaritans So I believe I've got one law to live under, only one law, and that's love. And love others as Jesus has loved me. Let's imagine if we were able to see our families, our workplaces, filled with the love of God that broke down all boundaries. Imagine what would happen in this city if we're able to truly love everybody. Everybody. That's an open heaven. <clears throat> as I was writing this, I started crying last night. As I was, and I'm not going to do it now, but I was um, a guy named Jared O'Brien. Does anybody know Jared O'Brien? 
He's the first person who revealed the love of Jesus to me. Who is it for you? Might have been Jared O'Brien. He's pretty good like that. Might have been someone else. Who revealed the love of Jesus to you by actually choosing to be love? He, he so didn't need to, but he did. You know, we just can't underplay the power of it. Just speak straight to our hearts, you know. Ah. Uh but I really feel that we need to reveal it. How am I doing time-wise? I'm smashing it. I only got seven pages to go. You guys are... No, I'm not. <clears throat> so there's this story in the Old Testament where uh, it's about Moses. And so Moses was raised as an Egyptian prince, but, but he was a Hebrew. He was part of the Israelite people. He, um, but he was raised um, and he saw a Hebrew being beaten by a, an Egyptian um, slave master and um, he killed that Egyptian slave master and then ran away and he went to work in, with sheep and stuff, as you do. So one day he's working with sheep and the, and the Lord come to him. There's a, there's a lot of words on that slide, Samuel. Let's see what we can do. Um, I want you to hear the verbs in this as I read this, I, the verb stood out to me. So in Exodus 3, 7, for those reading along at home. Um, <clears throat> I've sh- I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. So the Hebrew people are in Egypt and they are calling out for God to rescue them from slavery. Yeah, And here's Moses, he's ran away from the situation, he's working with sheep and God appears to him through a burning bush. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have given heed of their cry because of their taskmasters for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, uh, bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite, the Termite, the Pezite and the Hippite and the Jebusite. Now, behold, the cry of my sons of Israel has come to me. Therefore, I have seen the oppression for which the Egyptians are uh, oppressing them. And then things take this slight change. This is what God does. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign that to you that it is, that it is I who have sent you. And it goes on. God hears the cry. God sees what's happening. And then he says, I'm going to send you. So God sees the cry and he hears the, the deepest pain in people's hearts and he goes, hey, did you see that? I'm going to send you. This is the way he rolls. This is the supernatural and the natural come together. We just need to go. For some of us, it might be the homeless bloke outside of Coles. 
For some of us, it might be somebody at work who we know is doing it tough. Somebody, it might be a family member. Some of us, it might be some Samaritan-like people that we've built up walls against thinking that we're better than them. So God hears their hearts cry and he desires for them. And then he says, I'll send you. And this is the verse I've shared here before. This is the last verse for today. This is the, um, a verse that I've shared here before, but I, but I believe this with my whole heart. <clears throat> In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, this is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so which we should walk in them. So here's what this says. We're not saved by doing anything. You accept Jesus into your life, it's a gift, a complete gift. The Bible says you must die to yourself, yes, but it's a complete gift. Salvation is a complete gift. But then it says that you were created for good works. It doesn't say, all right, now you're saved, just come and chill. Come and do nothing. Phew, glad you're saved, come and have hot chocolate. It says, now you're saved for good works. We are the hands and the feet, yeah? We are fully the hands and the feet. This is totally how God operates. This is how the kingdom of heaven operates. There is a supernatural component, no doubt, but there is a completely natural component and we are that natural component. If Christ is in you, you are his hands and feet. All right. You guys want to stand with me? Can we, can we end on a, on a bit of music? My daughter has braces, and um, as a result of that, she got a new toothbrush, which she needed, which was great. And it's a, it's a whiz-bang ripper that head spins right around, able to get into places where it needs to get to. Um, that's all good. My son, Henry, wanted a toothbrush as well. Henry's got one that um, vibrates and moves around a bit. He was telling me this morning, I asked about how it works, and he told me, yeah, all the individual uh, bristles, like Ava's whole thing turns around, but mine's got little ones, and they all turn around in- independently, all individually. So his is better. Right? Ah, like, oh, of course. Cool. When, when Henry first got this toothbrush, he just put it in his mouth and just held it there. Because it's doing all the work. I don't need to do anything. Until we actually watched him and said, no, hang on, hang on, this, this ain't how this work. We need you to actually go around all the teeth and keep brushing and actually do some, do some work. And I actually reckon it's a really nice analogy because we can actually just go, oh, well, God's going to be the vibrating toothbrush and able to just do all the work. But where we've got to actually move the vibrating toothbrush to the right teeth to clean them to do what we need to do. We've actually got to be able to partner with him 
and actually revealing what he wants to do. It's not our job to get lazy, people. So how passive are you loving people? Or how active are you loving people? Why don't you close your eyes and, and let's pray as we start to wrap up. Lord, we just um, we thank you for your love that you've shown for us and we know how undeserved it is, Lord God. But we, we thank you, Lord God, that, um, that you've just done it regardless. Even with all our crappiness, Lord God, that your love just still shines through and it is the testimony for who you are. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you if you revealed a people group or something, Lord, today who we have called the Samaritans in our own lives. If there are a group of people who we have said and we've felt, maybe we haven't said it out loud, but we've felt that they don't actually deserve the fullness of God's love. Lord, reveal those truths in our hearts for us today. Reveal the truth and just get rid of all the crap that we don't need that's holding us back from fully viewing your creation with complete love. So who's God placing on your heart? Who have we made Samaritans but actually need the love from heaven today? Let's make it our job to build our life upon the love of God as our solid foundation. So Lord God, come today. Come today. Start these guys to sing the bridge of that song about. So let's just sing that a few times. Then we'll. This is our prayer today. I will build my life upon on your love as the firm foundation, Lord God, for who we are, so that when people see us, they interact with Jesus and Jesus and more Jesus. Lord, we invite you to come and operate through us. Lord, we invite you to come and reveal to us your heart for others. If there's one thing we can do today, it is to thank the person who revealed the love of Jesus to us. At least, that might actually encourage them. Lord God, today, plan in our hearts who are the people who revealed the love of Jesus to us as well. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord God. May the church be known for who we are and what we love and what we agree with rather than what we are against. Come on, Lord. Build up a passion within us, Lord God, for justice. Build up a passion within us, Lord, for seeing people living to the fullness of who they truly are. Build up a passion within us, Lord God, for just aligning and realigning and consistently realigning with the love that you have for others, for us and others, Lord God. Yeah, Lord God, we thank you so much.